Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the 10th installment in our M. Night Shyamalan movie review series. Today we are reviewing After Earth. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. I can't believe we're 10 movies in already, and Shyamalan himself has been that's fairly prolific for a film director to have 10 theatrical films, and of course we are counting his student-ish type film. And of course, if you haven't listened to the previous installments in our movie review series, that link is in the description below. They're very easy for you to find, so make sure you listen to those first because our thoughts do change and our thoughts in that do affect our thoughts in this so that will kind of help you see where we're coming from now as for this film it took three years uh after the previous installment avatar the last airbender was not a success in any way of the word right and i'm thinking Shyamalan probably took some time to regroup and oh listeners i did want to say that as of right now, I told you last time I would review Shyamalan's film Devil. He didn't direct it, he just wrote it, and that came out the same year as The Last Airbender. I have tried to get my hands on it, and it is surprisingly hard to get. It is, it's not easily available to me, and I don't really want to spend a lot of money on it, just in case I don't like it. <laughs> Interesting. But I promise once it becomes easier to find, then I will do a written review for that. But interesting. Anyways, Shyamalan hasn't done anything for three years, which is his biggest gap. Usually he operates off of a two year cycle. Um, I didn't see After Earth until this review. Yeah, I saw pieces. My uncle rented it many moons ago. I think actually it may have even been right when it first came out. He rented it. I know the family watched it um, with him and I caught pieces of it, but I never saw it all the way through. I know the legacy it has, but outside of me actually watching it, it's pretty much a no-go. I only know this movie from a couple of scenes here and there. So other than that, I'm pretty much new to this. I knew this film from some trailers I had seen over the years. Clearly, this film came out six years ago now, and I didn't remember trailers very well. The trailers I saw did look exciting. They looked very interesting to me. I will say, though... From my memory of the trailers and then actually watching the film, they didn't add up. In my head, I had a very different story and very different things that would actually happen in this film than what the film actually is. So my expectations were off, I guess, from what I saw. Gotcha. And I don't know if I ever remember seeing each other. I think the problem with the trailers uh, from those that I may or may not have seen is that this movie kind of looks a lot like an average cliche Hollywood sci-fi movie. Uh, and so that doesn't help, you know, it stand out too much from the pack of pretty much every other Hollywood sci-fi movie that comes out, or at least especially around this time. And I would say dating back to The Village, at least, 
that's where Shyamalan's marketing always went off mm -hmm. because people were mad the village marketed it a film that they didn't pay to see or or they paid to see it and didn't get, I guess I should say. And I think from then on, I've watched all the trailers and these films are always marketed all wrong. They're always trying way too hard to get audiences in the seats and they'll right. either reveal far too much or they will be deceptive. In this case, I'm not, we're not talking spoilers just yet, but the trailer is very action packed, very intense and exciting. And I'm not sure that completely lived up to everyone's expectations. Right. So originally, this idea actually came from Will Smith himself, not like the whole story, but like the core idea of father, the father is incapacitated in some kind of way, which causes the son to have to basically save him. Um, that was, he had this idea. Uh, and he wanted to go with somebody else. I think he went for the writer who was on uh, Book of Eli at the time. And so the writer did end up have did end up uh, fleshing out the story a bit more, which is where the sci-fi uh, elements came from it. And then uh, on his on Shaman's 42nd birthday, Will Smith called him up and kind of convinced him to take on this movie that he had. Uh, Shaman agreed. And at the time, the original uh, original title was 1000 AE. Uh, it was going to star Bruce Willis, Bradley Cooper, and Gwyneth Paltrow. But uh, I think it was slated to be released in 2012, I want to say. Um, but something happened and that ended up following through. So I wonder if that's kind of why there was a three-year gap. A year longer than what we normally see with Shyamalan and his movies is that this original draft of the, of the script or this original idea did end up coming out in the way that we would eventually see. Then later after that, uh, it was revealed that the entire Smith family would be in this movie. Uh, and then from then on, it, I think they started production in uh, 2011, 2012. And then from then on, it was essentially just became the movie that we got here. Yeah, that's probably the case is it sounded like it had a bit of trouble in production. Not a lot, but just probably some confusion. That right. sounds like it would have been an interesting film. And I like that title 1000 AE a lot better than After Earth. Right. I don't think right. After Earth is a very good title. It doesn't roll off yeah. the tongue. It just sounds very stilted. Yeah. So budget wise, this movie had a budget of 130 million, which is, let's see here, that's about the same, but it's pretty close to Avatar and uh, uh, I think that's actually about it. That's I think this is one of the most expensive uh Shyamalan movies that we have again marketing 100 million which we talked about earlier which seems to be about the lower end of these kinds of movies but it was released by Universal anyways yeah budget 130 million marketing 100 million so a grand total of spending on this movie to get it produced and then out there into the to the audiences about 230 million dollars which is pretty it's a pretty expensive movie by today's standards about normal yeah, I did notice the studios. Shyamalan is like studio hopping every single production, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't believe he's worked with Columbia or Sony before. Yeah, that's right. I believe, I believe yeah, Sony was, this is his first time making a movie with Sony in the 10 that he's done so far. Most of them were done with Touchstone up until uh, I think it was Avatar. 
and then he split away, went to many other corners of the world. Oh, no, sorry, that was Lady in the Water. So, earnings time. Opening weekend, $27.5 million, which is not good. Ouch. Domestically, it got $60.5 million overall, which is still not good. And then foreign, uh, it depends on where you look, because I looked in a couple of places, <laughs> and the v- numbers seem to have a little bit of variance to them. Um, it's either $191 million or $183.6 million, which means that the worldwide total also is kind of different, has some differing uh, sources, because it's either $251 million or $243.6 million uh, for total earnings worldwide. So... Still not great. Uh, worldwide earnings does help out a lot, but domestically it was a bomb. I'm just don't understand why people continue, especially high profile actors and producers continue to work with Shyamalan because his he started off with a great track record, but he his previous films have been bad bets. Right. They've been, he's like the plague. Don't touch him because he's going to tank your project probably. And it's not, people aren't going to like it. I appreciate that. I admire that Shyamalan keeps getting back up, keeps making films, even if they're not very good films, which really makes you wonder like, how did his like first three to four uh, wide release films just, they're just incredible, especially The Sixth Sense with all those Oscar right. nominations, <laughs> including two for right. him. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, that's the thing. I just hope like um, Damien Chazelle, for instance, doesn't bomb or something. So far, he can do no right. wrong, um, <laughs> which we did review his films, listeners, if you're that's interested true. in our reviews of those. But I did notice, yeah, you brought up previous uh, the story idea actually came from Will Smith and in the credits, it says story by Will Smith. And then I also noticed Shyamalan co-wrote this film. So well, we talked about last time Shyamalan that was with Avatar. That was his first adapted screenplay. And now this is his first screenplay that he is writing with other people. And it's not really his original idea, right? which I guess makes sense because the Wonderkind has kind of run out of steam, it would appear. Yeah, it seems like it. And I guess it might be a case of him. Uh, and we kind I kind of mentioned this in the last podcast, but maybe it's a it's this time where he's trying to figure out uh, here's what I can do. And then here's what I love to do. It's one of those things where he can go with a bigger company and have a much bigger budget and make a more Hollywood uh, and more broader uh, audience or target audience. However, that also comes with the hit of quality. Uh, It seems that with the movies that he's made with bigger budgets that appeal to a broader audience, mostly with The Last Airbender, and it seems to be like this one as well, uh, the quality of the movie and the earnings they make back are not great. There doesn't seem to be any connection there. And he does state uh, that this and the last movie were the two that kind of, I guess, woke him up to what exactly he is supposed to, or the way that he likes to uh, express his filmmaking art style. So, I don't know. It could be that. It could be... Um, and I guess time will tell here in the next few films if we do get out of this, I guess, this valley that we're in. Because from what I'm seeing from the scores, which we'll get into in a second, this is like the lowest point of Shyamalan's career so far. These scores for the last movie, Last Airbender, and this movie are really low. 
compared to pretty much anything else that he's done. Yeah, and to me, this seems like Shyamalan maybe trying to figure out the best of both worlds where he could make a very strong audience-pleasing film, which as other films did, did too, kind of appeal to a wide audience while still crafting a more intimate story because that's Shyamalan at his best when right. you've got just a couple characters it's not big scale it's small scale and it's two characters growing together in an arc and figuring something out that's what this movie is but whether it really succeeds or not that's what we're going to talk about right so when it opened out when it came out and it was released May 31st it opened at number three which already is not a great spot to be in. Uh, this seems to be the case for the last few Shyamalan movies. They seem to always open at number three, or yeah. at least not number one. Right. Um, it was up against Fast and Furious 6, which is already in its second week. Now You See oh. Me, which is also new. Uh, then under that, on because it came out number three, so number four was Star Trek Into Darkness, which is already in its third week, and Epic, which was in week two. So that's week one. Oh, wow. Week two, it dropped to number seven. Uh, and The Purge came out uh, as number one. Furious 6 was number three. Or, sorry, yeah, Purge was number one. Furious 6 was number two in its third week. Now you see me in a second week as number three. The, inter the internship opened up this week at number four. Um, Epic on its third week for number five. Star Trek number in its fourth week at number six. And then the week after that, it went down to number nine. And as more movies started coming out this, this week, uh, in week number three, Man of Steel and This Is The End were the two, the two new movies that came out that week and just continued to roll down from there. It never, ever recovered. And you said it came out in May? Yeah, May 31st, into May. Like at the beginning, pretty much at the beginning of summer too, uh, for this movie I'll, season. I will never understand that, how Shyamalan consistently, maybe it's the studio's fault, but they consistently release his films in the summer. Whereas most of his movies have no business being released in the summer. Mm. There's no way it was going to be Fast 6 at the box office. That franchise is a box office juggernaut. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, you said it's going up against the sequel to Night You See Me, which people liked, Star Trek. And then after that, Man of Steel. I don't know what they thought this movie was going to do. This is a science fiction IP independent property that's uh, brand new. And it doesn't have any kind of name recognition. Shyamalan has fallen out of everyone's good graces. His name is now mud at this point. As far as cinema goes, he's become a bit of a joke. I just, they finally learned their lesson. Here's a little look forward. They finally learned their lesson when they released Split in January. Right. Which, of, and it did great. It's, that's kind of a embarrassing thing to have your film released in January. But at least it did great. And then it actually got people excited and went up against garbage so it right. has really nowhere to go but up and i don't know um hit the the movies after this what what time they will what time frame they'll release them at but it's just stupid they consistently release them in, in the summer yeah i don't know it's in the yeah like you said they, they seem to always go up against some pretty big juggernauts uh, when it comes to just Hollywood in general, like you we just talked about Fast and Furious 6, which it's a pretty big name. I don't know. Um, my guess is it's probably a studio thing. They were hoping if they release it in the summer, they put Shyamalan's name on it uh, and get enough marketing out there, then maybe it'll do well in the box office. 
obviously it didn't. Uh, it did a pretty <laughs> horrible job, and at least domestically it did. Uh, which is, yeah, this is now the third or fourth time in a row where this seems to be a thing. It's yeah, it does beg the question: what What is the studio thinking? Because now he's hopped through many different many different studios, so this is not his first for this is not his first rodeo having a bomb in the box office. No, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the plan is. I don't really know what's going through their minds, but yeah, like you said. It seems with, at least when it comes to Split, uh, it seems to be that uh, releasing it at a time where not many movies are coming out does a lot better with box office returns than releasing it in the summer when everything else is coming out. But you know what? Maybe this was a critical success. Maybe I'm completely wrong and it's one of those <laughs> movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> Cinema Score wasn't too bad. I oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. A B. That's actually great because I believe the happening was a D. Avatar mm -hmm. was a C. Yep. He's going up. Yep. So, yeah. A B compared to what's, what's come before this is not too bad. Everything else, however, is pretty abysmal. <laughs> uh, IMDb is a 4.8, which is up from last time. Not by much, but it is up from yeah. last time. Metacritic a 33, Rotten Tomatoes 11% critic scored, and a 36% audience score, and a letterbox score with 1.7. So, yeah, this is pretty close to the last Avatar. Score-wise, there, there isn't much change outside of uh, cinema score. Yeah, so, okay, I was wrong. <laughs> I, I, I clearly knew this. I was trying to make a joke. But, so this movie is hated this movie is considered garbage by yes. critics and audiences they they find it to be trash pretty much yeah this and the last airbender like i mentioned earlier are is considered to be the lowest in Shyamalan's career thus far uh so i think the scores uh seem to reflect that um this seems to be also just general knowledge when it comes to Shyamalan's career this this and the last movie is essentially the lowest point in the Shyamalan valley of uh, this is the this is essentially rock bottom as far as we know at least as far as his career is concerned this is considered to be rock bottom for him these two are considered the last airbender and after earth is considered to be two of his worst films we need to do like a line graph. Yeah. <laughs> infographic. It'll look like a crazy roller coaster. Mm. Um, well, listeners, we are going to jump into spoiler territory right now. So if you haven't seen After Earth and you don't want the film spoiled for you, just like it wasn't for Alan and I, then go ahead and click pause right now. Go check out the film. Come back and click play here on the podcast and we'll be ready to talk about all the juicy spoilers for After Earth. So this is going to be a pretty short plot summary, um, not because I'm lazy, but because there isn't really too much that happens in this movie. Um, anyways, okay. Many years into the future, humans have moved away from Earth to another planet now called Nova Prime after an environmental disaster occurred on Earth. However, after some time of living there, an alien species arrives and with the ability to see by smelling fear from, the, from that is produced by humans. General Cypher Rage, played by Will Smith, cracks the secret to fight back as he becomes fearless, which is considered to be ghosting. Cut to many years later, General Rage's son, named Katai, played by Jaden Smith, 
uh, is also trained to become in the Ranger Corps, like his father. But he fails his assessment before his father arrives back home from some job he was doing. General Rage dis is disappointed by his son's failure, but decides to take him along with him on his next mission and next and final mission before he retires. However, before they arrive at their destination, the crew is met with an asteroid shower and are forced to wormhole travel to safety. With the ship badly damaged, they crash land on a now quarantined planet called Earth. With General Rage's legs both broken and the rest of the crew dead, Katai must travel to where the tail of the ship landed in order to retrieve a working beacon and send a distress signal to hopefully be to hopefully be rescued from this planet. Guided and aided by his father, by his father's voice and eyes, Katai faces the horrors of horrors of nature as he adventures 100 plus kilometers to reach the tail. Katai makes it just in time to the tail, retrieving the beacon and sending out a distress signal, but not before the Ursa, the crew brought with them, attacks Katai. The boy learns to fight without fear and kills the beast. A rescue crew arrives and saves them both as General Rage salutes his son and credits roll. Yeah, so it's a fairly straightforward plot. Yeah. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um okay, I don't want I don't want to be negative at first. Let's talk about some of the positives first that it, that at least I got from the film. I would yeah. probably say the best positive of the film is the potentially Christian worldview of fear and danger. I did like how Will Smith's character said, which I guess was Rage. Like, literally, his last name is Rage. Yeah, it's spelled R-A-I-G-E. Cypher Rage. Like, that's yeah. just, sorry, that's straight out of a cheesy 80s paper <laughs> trade paperback novel. I'm not trying to be. Yeah. Okay, positive, right? Positive. Okay. Um so talking about fear and danger, I did like that, how he was saying danger is real, but fear is a choice. We can choose not to be afraid. And right. so kind of like bravery, um, confidence. I do like that they talk about that in this movie. Um, that's my biggest positive for it. I got a couple others, but what did you think of that, Alan? Yeah, I, I ended up liking that idea that... Uh, in order to survive, especially in a world like this, you have to more or less become fearless. I like that idea. I, I think it's an interesting. I think it's an, an interesting worldview that Shyamalan has, and, and even kind of going a bit more general too. Just this idea of a father and son having to redeem their relationship, uh, mostly through the father. The father is the one who finds that he probably should become more of a father because he is going to be staying at home after he retires. Um, he wants to fix this relationship with the son. And the problem is he's kind of incapacitated. He can't really do too much. So I like this idea of the son having to obey his father even when he's not there. I like that idea. That's kind of being a bit general with uh, with what this movie ends up talking about. But I did like that aspect of it. And even further than that, the kind of like breaking point that they have to deal with that mostly goes unspoken until the very end of the movie yeah. is how their dad wasn't there to protect them. And Senshi, Katai's sister, is murdered by one of the aliens. And now the father is once again incapacitated and not really able to help his son. Like he's able to give him advice over the like the walkie talkie, but mm. he's really not there for him. And the flashbacks that Katai has thinking back to his sister and that kind of emotional weave of 
um, kind of these really heartbreaking, unspoken feelings. And clearly, the father and son have a bad relationship. I do really like those elements. And but the other two things that I did like about this film are, uh, I'd probably say the third act is the most exciting of all of the acts. I really liked the scene where Katai does that big jump off the log and then he paraglides and his father saying, you need to abandon, abandon the mission. There's no way you're going to be able to make this. And he's like, I'm going to prove it to you. I can do that. And I right. like how it kind of speaks to a son wants to prove to their father they're capable of taking care of themselves or being a man and being well equipped with that. I liked that uh, emotional element, but it was a very thrilling scene. And then uh, kind of, once again, this movie backloaded with a lot of that action, but a, a very exciting climax, I would say. Yeah. And kind of going along with that climax, the this movie does have some pretty good visuals. Not necessarily CGI, but like visuals in terms of landscape and setting, I think they do a pretty good job at making Earth, especially Earth that has been inhabited by humans in a long time, making it look very pretty. I think that this movie does look pretty good in terms of its visuals and how it presents uh, its setting. Once also, music again, done by James Ewan Howard. Very fine score, once again. I definitely agree that this film has great visuals and Earth a thousand years into the future. How has animal life evolved without humanity kind of keeping it in check at the top of the food pyramid? Right. It does have great visuals, but... Um, the, as you were saying, the CGI is pretty much on par with something you'd see on the sci-fi channel. And I would say that's probably how this story goes in general is this, I guess the entire package feels like this could have been dumped on the sci-fi channel and it would have been maybe a little higher caliber of, of the usual things you would watch on there. Um, so in that in that sense, I was disappointed because The Last Airbender came out three years prior to this film, and right. it looks far better than this movie. The, oh, yeah. I would even say The Last Airbender CGI holds up today, nine years later, uh, whereas this CGI does does not hold up for the most part. I, there's really nothing here that, that holds up, I would say. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. They're CGI wise, they didn't get industrial light and magic to come back, it looks like, uh, which they did help out with uh, Last Airbender. We both talked about how much the CGI looks, how much, how good the CGI looks in that movie. And for me, it was most of it looked pretty good. There are some elements that didn't look so good, but from an overall sense, it does, the CGI does look quite good in that movie. This is not the same here. They do over. They have an over reliance on CGI, which I understand, which is kind of typical for a movie like this. Because I mentioned a bit earlier, it feels from the from from the trailers that I saw or the screenshots that I remember, it looked like a typical Hollywood sci-fi movie. And now having seen this film, I still feel that this feels a lot like a typical Hollywood sci-fi movie. Um, and they over rely on CGI a lot. And there are times where it looks not great, mostly with a lot of the animals, uh, while interesting in design, aren't very well put together or CGI wise in terms of film creation. So yeah, it's uh, a completely different story. Visuals, they look good. CGI, however, is not so much the same story. 
one of my biggest disappointments with the film is tied into with one of my biggest praises is there's no connection to transcendence when it comes to this idea of fear and danger and right. humanity's ability to achieve literally being fearless, which is what we see in the beginning. Will Smith has no fear. He's kind of like this epic biblical character kind of weeding out the promised land for them with this new earth, this new Nova Prime. And he's slaying all of these horrible giant monsters. In that case, that does feel kind of like a biblical epic story and how those characters seemed fearless and were able to do incredible things. The only problem is they don't ever talk about any kind of God or any any ability. It's basically just rational. It's all about reason. It, it's irrational to have fear, therefore don't have fear. And it's pretty much all, all that there is to it. Whereas right. this, I think, would have made a much stronger film or at least a much stronger connection is if there would have been some tie to either God or some transcendental element to achieve something beyond human. They're doing because having fear is a human quality. Now going beyond that is it should only be able to be achieved beyond yourself, calling on some kind of higher power. And I'll say that uh, Katai's victory at the end, Wakul, does feel hollow because he doesn't really call upon anything. He just all of a sudden is like, I've gone through all of this. I guess why should I have fear? And and we're just supposed to applaud and cheer. But I think it kind of rings hollow. Yeah. And even kind of taking that idea and going a bit more general with it, I like I mentioned earlier how I like the idea of this film, how the premise of a father and son repairing their relationship in this kind of a setting is an interesting idea. But I think it's also the part that, or at least the part that makes it not as impactful is how it executes this idea. Because this movie is, especially, and this might even just become uh, my criticism because of Will Smith's performance in this movie. It doesn't really have much in terms of its story to make it very interesting, I don't think. The idea is interesting, but the way that the movie takes that idea and then executes it, executes it is very bland. This movie feels, and I mentioned this earlier a couple of times, like a very typical cliche Hollywood sci-fi movie. And I can't get past that because not only just the setting and the CGI, but also the way that it executes this idea of a father and son having to, relate, having to redeem their relationship is very poorly, uh, very poorly explored. You don't get much beyond the surface level as to what these care, how these characters feel about each other in this relationship. You know that dad's not there because he's busy, but other than that, there isn't much to his character to explain more to the fact why, how he affects his son or the other way around, why his son doesn't feel that he, why, isn't, why his son uh, doesn't look up to his dad as much as he, uh, as much as maybe he, a uh, normal son would. Things like that. I wish that they would have gone deeper with this idea, but in reality, they only go surface level at best. Yeah, the emotional pain is obvious and I think it's well stated because of the death and loss of the sister and he felt helpless to right. defend her. But when it does come to redeeming that connection between him and his dad, I did find that lacking as well. Shyamalan wanted their redemption arc 
And it feels kind of ham-fisted there towards the end, like, okay, I guess we're, we're, we're approaching 90 minutes. We need to have them make up. I, I don't really see why they really made up because right. Will Smith is drifting in and out of consciousness for most of the film. And I will say I was kind of disappointed that Will Smith was incapacitated the whole movie based on my expectations that it would be him and his son trying to survive on this hostile planet together, like hunting right. and find, finding the beacon together. Um, so in, in that respect, I, I don't see how they made up. I thought it was a great scene where uh, Katai is yelling at his dad, like, you're never there for us and I'm going to fix this and I'm not going to give up. Like, you've kind of felt like you've gave up on us, but then I feel like they kind of drop it there towards the end, especially yeah. because Will Smith is on the verge of dying, which is meant to create suspense, but they sacrificed that at the cost of a really hard-hitting character moment. Right. And... And I think part of the reason why there doesn't seem, or from my own opinion, doesn't seem to be a lot of emotion between dad and son is because they spend basically no time outside of the first act face to face with each other. They're always talking on the phone, more or less. And that's throughout the entire movie. So that's like an hour's worth of runtime where they aren't talking face to face. And that really pulls away from a lot of the emotion because you don't get that emotional connection or that emotional feeling when they're together and they're and maybe even just screaming at each other and arguing. And maybe in that scene when he says, I'm not a coward, the I'm not, the I'm not a coward scene, I feel like that would have been much more emotionally impactful had they both been in the same scene, like physically, not just him on, not just Will Smith on the phone. I think that detriments the movie significantly because these characters are not together at hardly at all uh, physically in the movie in the same scene. And I think the, the big ingredient that's missing is we're immediately set up that there's a strain on the father and son relationship because the father is in all, in all respects by the world standards, I guess, or by people looking on the outside in, he's literally the perfect human, right? He is the savior of their world in many respects. And his son is always kind of living in his shadow and never being able to live up to his standard um, because he's not able to ghost and neither was Sencha able to ghost either. And so that's the main tension is that he has this perfect father who's incredibly hard on him and he is not able to live up to that standard. And eventually he does achieve that standard somehow by his own willpower. But I think what would have been probably a more heart rendering scene there towards the end, maybe he says something along the lines of it's okay to be afraid or being afraid is human, but we're able to be more than human or, or we're called to, to go beyond that. And right. I don't know, called, called more attention to that called more attention, I guess what I'm saying to the son's um, dilemma of not being able to live up to the father, but then somehow him and his father both become perfect humans. And I, I guess it's okay. He's a, he accepts him now that he can ghost. <laughs> right. And you know, what's interesting, the more I think about it, especially just here a little bit, just here, like right now, this movie really reminds me of Sky High. As crazy oh, as that sounds. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> because it has a similar premise where not, not completely, but the main character in both stories is they don't live up to the legacy that their father has built, right? Yeah. 
in Sky High, the main character is supposed to have superpowers, but doesn't. While his dad is considered to be a very popular superhero and one of the best, if not the best. But his son is not. Same kind of with this story. You have this father who can ghost, um, but his son cannot. And so the story is his son or the sons of these, these two main characters who are the sons of their main of their fathers on a journey to figure out how to become like their father. When in reality, what ends up happening is they don't really necessarily become like their father, maybe in this movie, but they find something that's more self-identifying than it is copying what came before you. That was Sky High mostly, though. This movie kind of takes that idea, but once again, we don't really ever explore that past really surface level. Yes, Jaden Smith does become, does figure out how to ghost. But so what? You know, it, it, it's essentially you're just, at this point, it's nothing like Sky High where the main character is able to become more or self-identify as something much different than what his father has already laid out for him. But in this movie, it's different because he essentially just becomes a copy of his father. There isn't anything to make him unique, I guess, in that aspect of self-identification. It's kind of weird. It's, it's a, a theme that I would expect to come out of this movie, but for some reason doesn't when I feel like it would fit really nicely into this movie. What I think would been would have been nice to differentiate him from a father and kind of earn his own respect is that he's not able to ghost, but he doesn't need to ghost. He's able to have the victory without doing that. And right. he's able to overcome this uh, Ursa without ghosting. And then he still earns his father's respect because he's able to do it, uh, able to defeat his enemy. Um through not ghosting i don't know i'm just trying to think of a way that would come across uh that would that would make a little more sense with the connection um the only other two things that i thought were bad in this movie are the uh, the big opening exposition i found to be very cliche about earth has been overrun by natural disasters it's destroyed and hence we have to flee the earth that's like the main premise of like 90% of science fiction films it seems yep. like and uh not I didn't find the film to be very exciting in general it was really yeah. only the third act that I actually sat up to pay attention really because everything else is just like Katai you're freezing Katai you have to lunge onto a anaphylactic uh dart to get your heart back in rhythm right. um and their accents are awful yeah. And I mentioned this earlier, Will Smith's performance in this movie is, it, it really doesn't help this movie. Um, this movie is honestly to me was pretty boring and Will Smith, who is typically a very charismatic actor in pretty much every movie that he is in, he has, he's basically the life of the party. This movie, he's incredibly bland and that, ex that hurts the movie significantly. Um, uh, it's unfortunate that this movie, which hopefully would have been saved by his performance due to his legacy that he's left up to this left up to this point, is just not there. He's a completely different actor in this movie than pretty much every other movie that I've seen him in. And so that's another thing I can criticize is Will Smith's performance is boring and it makes the movie boring. Yeah, I mean, Shyamalan, I don't know. You don't cast Will Smith to take away his emotional range because that's really what he's known for and he's great at is either being funny right. or really intense 
or something. This he's just completely stoic and hard to read. And Shyamalan really wrote himself into a corner with that one, I think. And then especially when Shyamalan decided to get really lazy there towards the end and um, try and explain it all away as yeah. ghosting is so important. And now his son is going to go. So is his son just going to become this emotional robot? And correct me if I'm wrong, but the other thing that's incredibly problematic is the father never comes to terms with his daughter's death. They never really ever explain that outside of this is a thing that happened and is more or less the thing that kind of began splitting the family apart from the father and the rest of the family. They never really, uh, I guess, come to terms with that. Yeah, there is never really a scene where they accept this, this thing that happened to their sister or maybe they didn't. The movie just never explains that. That's another thing. They bring yeah. it up and then it's never resolved. Yeah, we, we really need that emotional breakdown between the yeah. two of them. Uh, that there, although I love the excitement of the climax, there's there's so much wrong with wrapping up these character arcs. Yeah. So, Alan, I'm very curious to know what is your rating and recommendation for After Earth? Um, After Earth is boring, and it's a movie that I probably could have lived without seeing. But given that we're doing this for a retrospective, I had to at least try to watch it. And I made it through the whole thing. But the problem with this movie is we missed, and we're always talking about the beginning and the end. There's a whole chunk in the, in the middle of this movie where things happen. But in reality, nothing really happens. It's just Jaden Smith having to face the dangers of the world uh, as he is not top of the food chain anymore um, because humans have left and things have evolved. But... The events that happened in the middle of this movie have no connection hardly to the rest of the over, at least the overall arcing theme of father and son building a relationship. And even then they don't do much in that time to do, to build a lot. There's some there, but it's not enough. This movie is devoid of emotion, which is interesting uh, by a lot of things, but it's, it's interesting that they decided to make Will Smith act this way, which really hurts this movie. Jaden Smith does give an emotional performance, but I wouldn't really call his performance very memorable either. So at the end of the day, I honestly, it, I struggled with this movie because I was thinking at the end when I finished it, I was thinking, I hope I remember enough to talk about it because I, a lot of this movie is admittedly pretty forgettable. So would I recommend it? No, I don't think there's anything here that's redeemable for me to recommend this movie. What score would I give it? Uh, I don't know, two, three, probably. It's got some nice visuals, but other than that, I don't think there's anything else here that would cause me to say, yes, it's worth a watch. So would you rewatch Avatar before this? At least Avatar looked nice throughout the whole movie <laughs> and had some good visuals and good CGI. And it's faster paced, but that's uh, probably watch Avatar, but that would be only because I actually felt some emotion in it. And this whereas just with this one. I just felt boredom. Yeah, it's a tough call. It's I, I don't know. It's a tough call because I yeah. think they both have things that are better than the other, but worse than the other. So right. After Earth is a somewhat feeble yet mediocre attempt from M. Night Shyamalan at crafting an intimate sci-fi thriller. His world building is fine, yet needs some fleshing out to actually invest us and for the setup to actually make sense. 
The father and son dynamic doesn't pay off in a satisfying emotional way as it should. Visual effects are mostly bad, save for the climax, and overall the first two acts aren't very exciting. After the big jump and giant eagle's nest and lion fight, do I feel that's where that's what the movie we should have gotten all along. After Earth isn't a bad movie, nor is it a good one, but of the past few Shyamalans, it's at least watchable. Alas, I can't recommend this movie. There's just not enough here to warrant your time. But for me, it does receive a generous five stars out of 10 with a mild not recommend. And I guess that being said, I would, I guess I would watch this before Avatar. Avatar at least has that really fun, big uh, blockbuster feel that right. I enjoy with some movies that uh, kind of give you that reminiscence of going to the theater, actually. Right. I don't get that with this movie. I don't think Shyamalan even wants you to get that with this movie. But I think this probably is more interesting in many respects than avatar but i don't care because i'm never going to rewatch either of them <laughs> i didn't i didn't recommend either film so. yeah i'll say this at least uh it seems like Shyamalan for this movie was also trying to tie in themes that he has done previously like the redemption of a character or two characters relationship we've seen that before in a Shyamalan movie but he's also trying to you know take in big budget hollywood pictures and morph those two together which this movie at least didn't work very well yeah i mean in many respects this is a science fiction twist on unbreakable yeah because bruce willis was unbreakable will smith is seemingly unbreakable they both have issues with their kids they both have issues in their marriage there's kind of this loss that each of them are going through right. so yeah you're right Shyamalan is really kind of rehashing or drawing upon previous films that have been much more successful and he's trying to give them a science fiction twist which there's nothing wrong with writing from what you know and what you've already done well the only problem is he doesn't do it well like he did yeah. with unbreakable like he really did uh do a great job with that film whereas this one he i just don't know i just i i understand everybody has a bad day or everybody has a bad <laughs> movie they make yep. but it's just baffling to me how Shyamalan started. I'm talking about with a sixth sense, not with praying with anger, which wasn't too bad. Listen to our review, but he yeah. started so high and he just kept going higher and higher, but maybe he's like Icarus and he soared too closer, too close to the sun and yeah. it kind of like burned, burned up some of his uh, creativity or maybe his ego got too big, thought he could just do whatever and it would just turn to gold. Right. All right. Let's talk Scientology. What? <laughs> when I was looking up research for this movie, there was a section in the Wikipedia page for After Earth that was specifically ta tailored towards Scientology. Hmm. And I was like, what? I, I think I know more than the average person about Scientology. I watched Leah Remini's TV special and I've, I've watched a few other things. But I, I'm drawing a blank. How in the world does this relate to Scientology? Right. So that was my thought too. I was like, what does this movie have anything to do with Scientology? So this all kind of stems from a couple of critics or a few critics, I guess, 
noticed some parallels with this movie and Scientology teachings, mostly from uh, two books of Dianetics. One of them, Dianetics: The Modern Science of, Mel of Mental Health and of Mental Health, and Dianetics: The Original Thesis. Right? There are apparently some teachings in both of these books that seem to be also in this movie. Okay. This also seems to be Will Smith has been. I guess uh, people have been wondering if Will Smith is a part of the Church of Scientology. What? Not entirely sure if that's completely true, but there yeah. have been, I guess, talkings that that's the case. Um, a couple of guys even made up a website called Cheer Up Will Smith, which was published to cheer up as a website. Uh, kind of insinuates cheer up the man after the bad ratings of after earth came out <laughs> and then eventually devolved into a couple of kid a couple of guys that were attached to the website in some kind of way making a mockumentary about this about how the film was uh tied to the church of scientology they went to one of the scientology branches in times square uh <laughs> and the representatives there threatened to call the police <laughs> anyways at the end of the day the Church of Scientology denied any connection with After Earth. Um, and so, yeah. But yeah, that was a section in the Wikipedia article, and I thought it was funny enough to just bring up in this podcast. Yeah, I doubt Shyamalan had any intention of tying this in with Scientology. That just right. doesn't seem like something he would do nor know much about or give, honestly, probably give much credence to. So the only thing I guess I could connect with this with Scientology is... I know Scientology talks about like theta, thetans or something, and you are supposed to keep like leveling up basically, and that will like achieve you more towards like harmony and perfection. And my guess right. is that Will Smith is supposed to be like theta 10. He's supposed to be perfect, and he's achieved that level somehow, even though there's no discussion of that whatsoever in the film. Right. Um, that's That's my guess. Right. I know that there seemed to be a connection with Scientology and the Ranger Corps. Uh, that oh, was in the movie. Okay. Yeah, because in Scientology, they have the Sea Org. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. yeah that's exactly right. So there, there was a connection there as well. Um, but it just seems to me that it was just coincidence <laughs> that these things were in the movie and were also a part of the Scientology teachings. I don't think that there is any kind of connection there. If there is, weird. Okay, but whatever. So yeah, there you go. they, I guess L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer. He loved science fiction and he wrote a, a giant book that's become a very infamous film called Battlefield Earth. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. The creator of Scientology created that book. So I guess they both, the both titles contain earth in it. So they're probably all connected. That's probably it. Yeah, they they did mention that in the article on the, in that section in the uh, Wikipedia page. So, yeah, I guess there was also some kind of connection there as well. They both Who take knows? place thousands of years into the future. Yeah. Alan, you've converted me. I now see <laughs> this is a secret propaganda piece for Church of Scientology. Exactly. This is what it actually is. In reality, it's not <laughs> someone trying to dig himself out of a hole or trying to make a movie that's catering to all audiences. It's actually a propaganda piece for the Church of Scientology. He's trying to get into their good graces, I think. <laughs> He's trying to become, yeah, he wants to get in those doors and become a representative. Yeah, he does. He wants to be in the Sea Org, I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows? I don't know. Uh, if we have any uh, listeners that are part of the Church of Scientology, do you see any? 
legitimate connection here. I know we're just kidding around here, you know, kind of making fun of the connections because they're clearly absurd and not intended mm -hmm. whatsoever. But if you are a part of the church in Scientology, I want to know, do you see any connection here or is this total bogus? So that's going to be the question after the show. Actually, I will put that in the description for listeners to okay. <laughs> give their comments on. I'm very intrigued to hear these comments. I honestly am too. I'm really curious to see uh, what kind of connections, if there are any people that people can come up with for this movie. I'm sure that there is a whole website that is dedicated to <laughs> finding connections between these two things, but I'm curious to know. I'm curious. Anyways, I will say I'm very much looking forward to next week's review of The Visit. I've never seen that movie before, but I've heard pretty much nothing but good things. Yeah, The Visit is considered to be the return to form, or at least the way out of this pit that we're in. It's supposed to be Shaolin returning to what he's good at and slowly but surely getting us out of what was Avatar and After Earth. So we'll see. We'll see if that see if that stays true when it comes to this next movie next week. That is the question. Is Shyamalan back? And listeners, you will have to stay tuned to next week to see whether we agree. Is Shyamalan back? Is uh, this what we've been waiting for? Or is it another swing and a miss? Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we will see you next week with The Visit. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Once also, music again, done by James Newton Howard. Very fine score once again. Did uh, James Newton Howard do this one? Yeah, he did. Are you sure? I just checked. Yes, he did. Music by James Newton Howard.
Okay, you're right. James Newton Howard does not come back for the visit. Yes, yeah, he he does not. There isn't any music in the visit, I don't think. Yeah, and he's never come back since. Okay. Yep. Anyways, delete that. <laughs> I could remember. I couldn't remember whether it was this or the visit because I watched them back to back. Yes. Um, where were we at? 